Dave Ross here, famous Marvel artist, DC artist, and Dark Horse artist, and you are listening to Heroes Home Base. <laughs> Hey guys, this is Mark. This is Rob. What's going on, guys? This is Rich. Episode 21. How we doing, fellas? Very good. Mark. I'm tired. You're tired? <laughs> I think I put tired. in like 80 hours this past week. It's insane. Did everybody have a good holiday? Whenever this gets uh, posted, you know, we're in Memorial Day week. Did it was pretty good. You did anything fun or anything? I had a day. No, I didn't do anything fun. I had the day off on both jobs. So I just read, took a walk, relaxed. Listen to some podcasts. That's are it. You, are you staying fit? Because I know I'm tr- you usually go to the gym a lot. I, I'm trying to. I've been doing. Uh, I've been jogging. Um, I found a track to run around, and I've been uh, walking a lot. So I, mm. I've been getting my steps in. I feel like I'm. Uh, got a uh, you know Corona twenty pounds on me, man. I feel like just. <laughs> I feel no, like it's I'm- the age. It's our age. We just hit that mark where our metabolism hit another thing. That it, it's just the age. It's not you. Shit, been, my then- metabolism slowed down like fifteen years ago. <laughs> it's just your age. Two thousand and seven, bro, is when my metabolism stopped. I gotta tell you though, boys, comics are turned back on at the Laughing Ogre. Man, I got some nice. new books. Got some new books. Um, Gib has been gracious to uh, give us a couple uh, rentals. Uh, kind of centered around the show. So in the future here, we're going to have some, uh, probably some other home-based communications, if that's what we want to call it, or special guests or behind the curtain guests. I don't know, but awesome. uh, we're working on, we're working on building that and making the show pretty exciting. But uh, what's the, what's the big news that came out? I know the last show we speculated that uh, Zack Snyder was, you know, showing his screening to executives and stuff like that. but. We're at the point. So it's official. Um, my buddy Jesse, who was on the show, um, sent me a message about the Snyder Cut getting officially released. So I promptly uh, messaged that to Rich, who then said, You're full of shit. <laughs> and did. then I messaged Dr. Doug, who said, You better not be screwing around with me or I'm going to be really pissed off. To which I said, Nope, it looks like it's legit. And uh, he's he was extremely happy. Uh, Rich obviously can speak for himself. Well, but, dude, um, like when I finally got the article up and running, and it was actually a DC uh, official post, and then it was like Warner Media article mm-hmm. that I read, like where I'm assuming the the new executive that came through really, you know, set the tone and was like, you know, the fans that this has been a, a, a constant beating drum for the thir- first 13 months that I've been here. And I just think it's really, really cool that, you know, they're listening to the fans and the, and the content is going to get, it's going to get released. Obviously we don't know, you know, what the, what the actual breakdown of the film is. Obviously if it's going to be on HBO max, a streaming service, we're not, we're, we're not going to see it in theaters. But mm-hmm. like, I mean, I've read multiple articles, obviously, since this original, you know, the one that you sent me, and it can be anywhere from like four to six episodes, we could be getting four hours, six hours, 
which I think is perfect for Zach. And, you know, his mm-hmm. extended cuts are so long and he's got such good cinematography. But, I mean, I think that they're, uh, what do they say, the budget's going to be anywhere from 20 to $30 million to finish the production and the special effects. And stuff. I heard like $22 yeah. million, but that, that could be off. So, I mean, who knows, man? I'm, I'm pumped. I, I know there's other people out there that are just annoyed and they just want this thing to go away. And they're, you know, they're real cynical about it you know there's a lot of people that don't like zach and they don't like what they what he did with the characters and you know in this day and age i I respect everybody's opinion i respect that uh i respect you not to like it and um you know i but to me i can't be more excited but then again the comments i made previously on other episodes where it's like man if i love this and I don't get a continuation I'm gonna be super super bombed so I hope it's successful and then you know who knows you know maybe he gets the green light to extend it even further or maybe he's gonna do some rewrites to the end of the film and wrap up some of the unanswered questions that you know he would have better he would have saved for a sequel but I I follow Henry Cavill on Instagram Mm -hmm. and their talk signed up to do some more right He's he's in talks to do more, and he's he his like it's a real vague post where he was you know sh- uh, taking a picture of himself back in the gym. So I mean that's really encouraging, and you know I, he could be in Aquaman too. He could be in Shazam too, and you know that's awesome. I'm I'm super excited. Mark, you got well, anything to say about it? No, I'm just excited because it's been talked about for the since you know Justice League came out, and you know I just wonder if this is going to be this whole you know although the, Zach Snyder has his his cut, I just wonder if it's going to be you know you know a suicide director's cut, uh, uh, you know Batman vs Superman, cut. you know if it's all everybody's going to have their own director's cuts now. All this stuff is going, all these director's yeah. cuts is just going to start coming out now out of the woodwork, out of every you know what I mean. Yes. So I wonder. That's the only thing I hope doesn't happen but i i'm open to it if it's like episodic i think that'd be cool um i don't know how long they're going to do you know but i i'm open to it i I, i'd like to see it any other news to talk about i believe the main the actress who plays batwoman she is no longer in the role i believe she quit the role yeah she did back out yeah i i've never followed batwoman i'm not up to date on her character i don't really get the care i read up on her but i don't really get the gist of her character. I'm not really interested, um, but I did see, you know, she's on the CW, so I've seen her on crossovers and things like that. Um, but I thought that the, they, I thought the costume was on point. Oh, the costume was great. And I think the costume was the only thing that was great about it. I, I think this is, to be honest, like I don't want to dwell on this point too much, but I think this is suicide for the show. And I'm really surprised that it got greenlit for a second season because the ratings were in the toilet like wow well really didn't it get the green light before she bailed yes like it got green lit and she backed out of it i just i've i don't see the point i mean and i'm and i really try to reserve my opinion on something that i've never seen but i I mean we've all talked about this on the show multiple times like i'm kind of out of the dc universe on television it's it, it sucks to to hear that a show is in turmoil because the the lead actress leaves. But uh, I, I, I like well, I mean, I've I heard. I think it's suicide. I think the show, you know, it could. I, I don't know why it's still on. To be honest. Well, and to be transparent, I only saw the pilot, which wasn't bad. Um, I could definitely tell it was a. Um, you got to kind of give a little bit of you know, you look the other way on a pilot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, sure. 
Um, I think at this point, I'm just kind of annoyed with all the speculative reporting. You know, it's just kind of noise right now. Actually, for both of these updates, like the Schneider cut, we don't know what this is going to be. Okay, then shut up about it now. Right. Same thing with like, you know, Ruby Rose leaving Batwoman. It's like, well, we don't really know why, but here's some speculation. You know, there was talks that, you know, she had back surgery, significant injury on the show. Mm -hmm. Um, I think other talks was she's kind of homesick being from Australia and then being kind of based in California as well as Canada to follow, um, you know, like a grueling show schedule yeah. was rough. But again, it's all speculation. It's, it's like, you know, is it a combination of personal stuff versus pressures of a show? So, I mean, I agree with you, Rich. It might be, if anything, I don't know, suicide, but it's definitely on life support. Yeah. And it may not, depending on who they recast, because they jumped on that immediately. Um, it may not make it past season two, but it, you never know. Maybe they put somebody in there and it rejuvenates yeah. the cast and the the crew. Because uh, I would have to imagine that, you know, if number one's upset, that trickles or that like permeates. You it affects know. the rest of the, or yeah. Well, Mark. It's sad, but you know, we'll see. Well, Mark, um, I think that uh, this is going to be a really exciting show. Uh, why don't you give the intro to what kind of the base of this this particular are we doing? Is this going to be a home based communications or are we just doing a special guest? Special guest tonight, we have one of my all time favorite artists on the show tonight. I reached out to him and he replied back to me the next day via email. I could not believe so Mark he wrote me back. Did your goosebumps have goosebumps when you got these? My goosebumps <laughs> had goosebumps. We got Dave Ross on the show, artist on my favorite comic book, Avengers West Coast. He's done Birds of Prey. He's done Captain America, Daredevil, Spider-Man. He's worked for Marvel, DC, Dark Horse. And we got him all the way from Toronto, Canada. So here it is, Mr. Dave Ross. Hey there. How Dave, are you? Dave, hello. Good. Good. How you doing? Good. I'm are excellent. You? It's great to see you. That worked. That work? <laughs> right. No, no, you got to understand, I'm a Zoom virgin, man. I, I have not done this before. But we had a thing, uh, what was it called? It was kind of like a WeChat thing we were doing with the students because I, I do classes as well. So nice. what we were doing was uh, having whole groups coming in, uh, and, and I was teaching online classes to them. It worked out all right, but we did have some audio problems, usually involving a lot of the different students with their audios on. So they kept right. telling the students to mute unless they actually had to come in. Uh, and it, it made the technology work a little better. But but obviously we don't have an issue with that tonight because we don't have a whole bunch of people. Right, on. right. How are you guys doing these in, in these crazy times? I mean, it's just, I can't believe what's going on. It's like something out of a science fiction. Uh, I know. Well, nuts. it's interesting, Dave, I'll tell you, I live in Brooklyn, so I'm in New York City. And it, for the city that never sleeps, it's so eerie here. I can believe it. I mean, Times Square is completely empty. Grand Central is completely empty. I mean, completely empty. Uh, the streets are, you don't see cabs anymore. All the cabs are not out. Uh, the streets are empty. The trains, I'm, I, I'm. Oh, man, this is the time to get the film crews out. Yeah. yeah it's so it's great. Great. It's insane. It's really interesting. It's eerie and it's oh. just, it's really sad what's happened. And it is. It's on complete, we're on complete lockdown. It's awful so. that you guys, you guys got hit so hard. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we get it here. Okay, so I'm in Toronto, I'm in Canada. So big 
City. Yes. And very cosmopolitan. So we, we got our dose of it for sure. And um, now I think we're down to about an average of 200 cases okay. a day for the whole GTA, for the whole area, which isn't bad. I mean, when you think about how that gets spread out over a large area, yeah. okay, you know, it's, it's, but it's still not great. I mean, the thing is that we've been in lockdown for, you know, same as everybody else, about mid-March, I guess. Yeah. Right. March, yeah. we've been in the lockdown. So you would think by now people would get it. And, and we'd be down to like 25 cases or something, but it's not, it's, it's still a couple hundred. Um, the big concern that they keep talking about now is like the second wave, you know, like they keep comparing to the Spanish flu and all that. Like, so when right. winter time hits, like, what are we, what are we expecting? I'm we're, Rob and I are in Columbus, Ohio. So, yeah. I mean, we just, oh, everything has been transitioned to reopening this week. So like our restaurants, and everything okay. and and like most retailers are now open and like how are your numbers in columbus there you terms know of daily cases our, our governor was like on it super quick like we started procedures like earlier we always have the arnold schwarzenegger um he always has this big event um right. in the convention center well like the first warning that this was serious was he canceled that and uh, there was okay. always people that come in every like over it's close to like 300,000 people, including, you know, all over the world that come in for this event. And he yeah. just put the kibosh on it and everybody's like, you're overreacting. There's no cases. And like, he was on top of it. He shut us down pretty early and started restricting things. And then like, I, I think they, they're projecting because we were so early, maybe, you know, we might have more cases coming, but I, I'm not quite sure, but we had a, like an infamous, uh, uh, or an inf yeah, infamous, uh, uh, incident last weekend where one of the parks opened and it just absolutely packed up with people. Mm. I mean, just cheek to jowl everybody. And it's like, what are you people doing? Uh, we've been, we've been interviewing a couple artists like locally and stuff like that, but I'd really be interested in your, your take on comics today. Yeah. Um, I feel it's a little watered down. I feel like, uh, there's a very few people who are doing some really interesting stuff. Um, and, and can tell a story. I think one of the things that seems to be going by the wayside is the ability to tell a story clearly and in an interesting manner. Mm -hmm. And I think about some of the guys that, that I was a fan of and how they could tell stories so well. And to me, a lot of the stuff is looking a little bit disjointed these days. And Agreed. I'm wondering, again, I think it's just sort of spreading it out. Um, I also think, I also think it's, a, it's a question of, it's a lot to learn. I mean, if you think about it, because I teach it. Um, okay. Up here in Toronto, we have a, a program at, at my school. It's a four-year diploma program on sequential arts. And I'm, um, I guess I'm a full-time teacher. I mean, I do as much work as I can on the side. I have a heavy semester and a light semester. Uh, my heavy semester, they pretty much own me because I, I do like eight classes a week. So that's a lot. Yeah. Um, but it's very interesting to be on that side of it and to be on the teaching side of it and, and the challenges that are involved. And when you think about it, you, as students, the students have to learn how to draw figures like nobody's business. And they got to do it off the top of their heads. But that's only the start of it. They got to learn so much about setups and backgrounds and how to tell story properly, um, lighting, black spotting, you know, all of the things that we take for granted in a good artist. Um, some people just come by it totally naturally, but for most of us, we got to learn it. Yeah. And there's a big learning curve. So, um, what's some of the biggest struggles that the students have when it comes I to think telling the stories? The freehand figure drawing. The freehand figure drawing is probably the biggest. Getting them to apply what they know about perspective is number two, yeah. because you'll teach it to them 
And aside from myself, there's some excellent other instructors there. And I know that they get hit with, with the notion of using perspective grids, technical perspective, building blue line grids to build mm -hmm. a sense of the space and then build it on the blue line grid to create a sense of depth, build your buildings, whatever structures you have to, to build. And using that in basically using that as second nature. And the thing right. is they get that grilled into them in first year. They come into second year and you see them just scratching around on the page and you go, I thought we taught you better than that last year. <laughs> um, so I think the challenge is getting students to understand when you come into a teaching situation like this, it's not high school anymore. Because back in high school, you would cram for a test. Yeah. Right. And then after the test, you dump it. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh my God, that thing's, that's over. I'm so glad. I'm it's never going to use it again. <laughs> Dad, throw that away. And you get so trained to do that as a, as a student. Um, mm -hmm. But when you're doing this, when you're learning this particular discipline, it's like, no, you have to build on each thing you learn. It's mm. stepping stones to get to a place. And so they got to know that if we teach them perspective, using grids, all that stuff, in, in one year, they got to come back and apply it the next year if they want to get decent results. So for me, the biggest challenge is getting them to understand that they need to retain what they learn and then build on it. David, um, you're reminding me um, of one of my favorite professors in grad school. Yeah. Like my first year in grad school was unlearning what it meant to be a student. And he was, right. he would always say, you're, you're such good students because everybody would ask, what do I need to know to pass the test? He's like, that doesn't matter. You need to know how to actually apply this information, which yeah. spoiler alert is a lot harder to do. Which Well, part of the thing. Happened. Yeah. I mean, and, and the thing is that I know that like my wife who went through uh, more of a fine arts background, whereas this is more of a commercial arts background, but she, she sees what I teach and she sees how much I give the students. And she says, you know what? You're spoon feeding them. They ought to learn to source this stuff for themselves. They got to be creative. They got to, you know, think and use their imaginations. And you got to sort of let them out in the deep end. And I said, you know, it's true. Uh, everything you say is true. But we have a very short period of time, relatively speaking, yeah. to get them to process a lot of information. And I don't have time to wait for two years for a student to figure out how to source stuff. I have to just direct them, say, here, over here, here's your information, photo references, use them. Don't think you can just do this stuff off the top of your head. You're yeah. not a genius, not yet. Get out there and get some good <laughs> photo source, you know, stuff like that. Because students always think they can wing it. They, they yep. really you know, say, look, if you've drawn a motorcycle a hundred times, then yeah, on, on number 101, you can draw it off the top of your head. But if you've never drawn a motorcycle before, don't imagine that you're going to really understand the anatomy of that, right, right. that cycle. You, know, you are going to need some references to look at. I don't ever want them working in my style. Um, I don't know whether it still exists. I shouldn't even say this, but I remember <laughs> meeting about three students from the Andy Kubert school one time right. and at, a, at a convention. And maybe it was just these guys, all right? But they were all drawing like Adam and Andy Kubert. Uh, yeah, the Joe Kubert school, of course. Right. They were they're all drawing like like the, the sons of, of Joe. And I'm thinking, is this thing thing is coming down on to them on high, or is they just huge fans of these guys and they just want to draw like them anyway? Right, right. But it was a little spooky and I said, I don't want that. I don't want mm. students that are drawing like me. Um, the fundamentals that we teach, the methodology that we teach, you should be able to apply to any style of finish that you want to give. Nice. Even if you're dealing with manga, whatever crazy independent style. 
you still need to understand poses and, and basically body language and how to make all that kind of stuff click together. You still need to be able to understand the concerns and problems that anybody's going to have doing like a high angle shot, a low angle shot of somebody, how to be able to tweak the perspective when you need to. These are all things that are universal, basically, whatever style you're working in. So I kind of wanted to, you, you've been great. I mean, this is, I, your teachings, I've been actually, I recently just started following you on Facebook. I'm sure you saw. And yeah, cool. I've been, uh, yeah and I've been um, reading up on some of your teachings. You're at Maxmut, correct? Maxmut, yeah. Maxmut. It's, it's a crazy name, but it's a really amazing school. And you know what, they, what they've got? They got three streams at the school. So stream number one was animation. It was founded as an animation school. For many years, it was just animation that was being taught there. Okay. And it was, it was an alternative. We have a big school, very well known. It was second to Disney, basically, wow. in the Toronto region. It's called Sheridan College. Okay. But it's way out in Oakville. I mean, Oakville is like two hours drive outside the city. It's crazy. Wow. So what they were doing was they were trying to put a school together that would give that quality of education, but in the city. Mm. Students wouldn't have to be going to Mars to, <laughs> to, to get good schooling. So they did it. And, and it was a little atelier school at first. And they got all of this really good response and more and more students were pouring in and they were sort of getting, uh, they were growing out of their spaces. They had to keep moving into larger and larger spaces. Got some really good press in the local media a few times, which then boosted, you know, the, the attendance right. again. Oh, yeah. So after that, they ended up um, starting up a sequential arts program. So fancy name for comics and, uh, and concept <laughs> art. And, and concept art, I was kind of scratching my head when that first started. And I said, what is that exactly? And if you, as a student, I, I remember asking my first group of concepts, why are you here? What is this? Why would you take concept instead of animation? Why would you take concept instead of sequential? What is this? Because to me, it's a weird umbrella thing. It's kind of like red velvet. What is red velvet? I don't get that. <laughs> but, so concept was kind of a big umbrella term. And Really, of course, it's, it's about the gaming. It's getting students ready to go into uh, R&D, uh, research gotcha. and development on, on, for, for gaming industry. Um, in which case, it's a lot of different things. It's doing storyboards, it's doing layouts, it's doing a lot of color finishing, and they learn a lot of color rendering uh, in that course. And basic design. And I don't mean design as in graphic design. I mean design as in you got to design cool spaceships. How do you go about that? you got to right. design futuristic cities. How do you go about it? I got to do this weird gun design for a film that, that I just got hired to do design and development work for. How do I do that? So it's a lot of that kind of thing as well. So they, de they teach that as well. So it, it's the three core um, streams. And, and you pretty much after first year have to make a solid decision which one you want to pursue nice. and then just stick with it. You can't well, kind of dance around. We don't, we're not a big enough school where you can audit and take courses. From, a, from another stream in particular. I mean, we've had the odd person do it, but it's, it's like, it's not really- uh, Feasible. <laughs> feasible, not, not in the big scale. So I just, I wanted to kind yeah. of bring it back to the comics that you- Oh yeah, absolutely. Over the, yeah. yeah, it's been, I mean, you, you I, I will tell you, Rich will tell you, before you got on the call, I was freaking out because you have been such an inspiration to me and you, I just, I really look up to your work and it is just a privilege and an honor to be able to speak to you tonight. So thank you so much for well, that. Thank you, thank you for that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, you've worked on so many, you've worked with Marvel, DC, yep. 
Dark Horse. You've worked on Spider-Man, Daredevil, Captain America, and two of my personal favorites, Birds of Prey, and my all-time favorite comic book, Avengers West Coast. You and Roy Thomas did such an incredible job on that. (laughs) It was excellent. And can I tell you that Mockingbird is my personal favorite Okay. So when you drew her, even though she's just, she's human, she didn't have any superpowers. The way she died. And then she died. And I have the (laughs) issue right here that she died in. Oh my God, I'm holding it. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. You you never made her a weak character. So I was just like, kudos to you for that. That was so awesome. So the neat thing, you got to know, because I don't know how many people you've talked to that have worked with Roy. You've got to know, Roy is classic old school Marvel. And that means he's really, really open to being interactive with the artists he works with. He okay. works in that style, which I think is just about gone by the boards now, where you, he gives you a, a plot, not a script, not a, not a fully fleshed out script, but a plot. And sometimes it would get really vague. It was like literally like, and then they fight for three pages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, seriously. Because once he once he can trust the artist, and I mean, the more he knows, and you've worked with him for a while, the more he'll do stuff like that because he knows he can trust you to choreograph the sequence properly. And the genius of Roy, I always found, and I was just I just shake my head when the scripts would come in because when you see him take what you give him, because it's very interactive. I mean, obviously, as an artist, you're always working with what the writer gives you, but in the case of Roy then he would work with what you gave him and he would change and tailor his script to it. And it would be so seamless at the end of the day, you'd never believe in a minute that that's how it was. You would think that he had conceived every single nuance of that page because he made it his own. He just took the artwork and he made it his own, which was, which is amazing. That's incredible. A great, a great experience working with Roy. What we ask our guests is something that is a common theme throughout our interviews is that, can you tell us when did you first fall in love with comics? Well, I mean, I guess early teens. I mean, I've seen, I've been exposed to comics before. I think if anything, as a young kid, I was more of a car geek than a comics geek. And then I sort of switched it over. I don't know when I really, it, it would have been, I think with the advent of some of the, the cartoon stuff, I remember seeing the Fantastic Four in cartoon version, you know, mm-hmm. the first animated series um, and, and just falling in love with the idea. They were just too weird for me. This character running around in flames, this character, yeah. you know, and with the bricks and he had this great attitude. It's like, this is so different and so cool. I want to see more. I want to know what this is all about. And then I would go and find the books. And of course, as soon as I found Jack Kirby, it was like, oh yeah. man, this stuff is so good. Um, so obviously I was definitely attuned for it. And, and I just got sucked right in. More of a Marvel guy, I have to admit, than a DC guy back then. Although I would pick up the DC stuff too. But, but definitely a superheroes guy, not so much a war. I mean, at that time, it was great when you think about it. You were getting a lot of Western books, comics coming out. Yeah. You were getting war comics coming out. You were getting some secret agent comics coming out. So you, there was a nice diversity in the terms of the genres. And it really only became like 100% superheroes a few years after that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you'd, you'd get your, your groups of fans uh, at the schools and they'd sort of run around in, in, in these subcategories. People who were loving the comics for superheroes, people loving the comics for war comics, that kind of thing. Yeah, I was never into that. The superhero stuff, the fantastic aspect of it, the larger-than-life aspect of it has really kind of pulled me right in. And so guys like Kirby were, were favorites. So can you, you – you sort of answered some of this when you were talking about working with Roy. Can you 
say a little bit about how your creative process works and how that varies depending on who the writer is that you're collaborating with? Yeah, just look for divine inspiration. Come to me. But but it's weird because sometimes you'll like, literally you will you will look at a page, you'll break a page down um, of script, you'll work out some panel shapes, and the panel shapes you'll try to you know certain ones are just going to make obvious sense. Like if there's a couple of characters approaching a waterfall, you're going to have a long vertical right you know, scene right to go with it. So um, so you'll do things like that, but. Then you'll have sort of major panels on the page and you'll look at them and you'll look at the shape. And sometimes I would literally feel like I was seeing this really soft silhouette of sort of gray on white of a kind of basic blocking. And then I would just start to draw. And of course that's obviously it's not really there. It's not like there's a sure. light coming in the window right. doing that. So it's gotta be just kind of something going on in my subconscious. Uh, so sometimes you'd have that. I think there's a lot of formula. Um, the more familiar you come become with storytelling, and it's not, it's the kind of formula that would be applied, not just in comics, but in cinema as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got yeah. certain kinds of scenes when they play out, you think, okay, how's, what's the best way to take this scene? Well, we could get above them. We could look down on them. Um, we could pull the camera way back and show one of the characters leaving the group toward coming towards camera. We could get in under somebody's arm, have a gift sort of a, a, a beautiful um, framing element of somebody, maybe part of the, the side of their body and part of an arm. And then in between, you can see the characters in the background. So the, you, you understand that there's a lot of these types of standard approaches, which can actually look really cool. And for me, part of the learning curve was in being prepared to make use of them. Because initially, it's like, oh, no, no, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that stuff. I, I'm going to be special. I'm going to do something different. And so you're always trying to do some weird, quirky thing with a pose. You're always trying not to use that. The, uh, the the cliche stuff, but you know what? Wow, those cliches have a lot of power in them. Right. And when you start yeah. tapping into that stuff, all of a sudden your work gets really exciting, and you go, "Wow, you know what took me so long to try this stuff?" So <laughs> it's it's just it's the nature of it. Uh, it's a learning curve, and for me, uh, it was maintaining your own voice, keeping your own style in your work, but at the same time understanding that there are these tropes that you can play off of and get some really, really amazing results. From. I was going to say, you know, you, you really do have your own style, you know, and it's it's incredible because, you know, you, John Byrne, Neil Adams, you know, you guys are my like all-time top favorites. You really do have your own voice and your or style in your drawing. You've worked on such major titles. Was there ever a moment when you're like, okay, I made it. I'm an artist. This is it. I'm in Marvel. I'm doing it. Was there ever, did you ever have that moment in any particular title? No, oh. because, because, <laughs> And I think, no, because the nature of the beast is if you are going to be a true artist, if you are going to always improve, you can never be comfortable in your own skin. Nice. You understand? You have to be yeah. unhappy with your work. You ah. have to look at it and cringe while everybody says, that's beautiful, man. I said, yeah, but you know, if I just moved him over a bit more and I'm not sure about the placement of that eye next to the cheekbone, I'm thinking it could just come up a little bit. Uh, the bridge of the nose, uh, you know, you get really fiddly, really nitpicky about it. And I think it was um, Al, um, Al Milgram, because I, when I came into Marvel, Al took me under his wing for a while. And Al is amazing. He is such an incredible gentleman. And he's so generous with his time and really uh, has the, the heart of a mentor. Uh, and so for a lot of us young and, and new artists in the game, he was very nurturing for us. And I think 
Al made a very good uh, comment at one point to me. He said, you have to keep in mind that a person reading a comic book is only looking at your panel for a, practically a split second and moving on. If the story is doing its job, you're constantly moving forward, constantly moving forward. You may go back and review the work later on, but the idea is do the best you can. Know that you're at a certain standard right. and don't get tied up in knots trying to outdo the last thing that you did because you'll just end up freezing up. Uh, and, and really, it's a production game. You have to have, get up to a certain level of quality and then you have to produce a lot of work. Uh, and that means you've just got to keep moving forward, moving forward. Nice. And yeah, so that, that was good advice. I mean, I say, yeah, and I, I tell that to my students because I have certain students and you, you know the ones when they come in the, in the room, they, <laughs> they are slow, not because they are lazy, they don't apply themselves, they, they put a lot of hours in, they sweat over the work. They are slow because they see too many ways to do a thing and it ties them up in knots yeah. and freezes yep. them up. Uh. So it's like, just pick one. Try Paralysis by the options. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dave, problem. is there, is there, uh, I was listening to an interview, uh, that Jim Lee gave, uh, not too long ago. And he was saying that he always struggled to draw dogs. Is there something that you've always like, you're like, Oh God, I'm <laughs> God. I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, well, I mean, animals are, animals are big because if you don't really make a study of them, I mean, a really concentrated study, you feel like you're fluffing it a little bit, even if you're working with a lot of reference around you. Right. you know, and, and ideally, if you had time to say you had like horses and people mounted on horses, I find I have a problem initially with the horses. I'll get better at it as I keep going at it. But then getting the person to sit just right in mm -hmm. the saddle on the horse, I find that gets tricky. And I I'll often fight with a drawing like that. Um, and then you'll have a day when you'll approach it and you'll think, I'm going for that fight again. And you'll get, everything will just click into place. You nice. go, oh, that was sweet. I wonder if I can just bottle that. Right. You know? <laughs> but, but you can't. And then, you know, the next day you're having problems again. So, but you do get better. And I, I said to my students, and this sounds like I'm bragging, but I'm not really bragging. I'm using it as an object lesson. I had a dream early on in my career. And it was kind of like, I think Superman had a dream like this. <laughs> but... <laughs> Where, yeah, I think Superman has a dream where he has this magic formula and saves everything and, and, and makes, makes everything work wonderfully. And then he wakes up and he can't figure out how to come up with a formula again to feed everybody, whatever. Um, but in my dream, I was drawing like this incredible master and I'm looking, looking at the drawings and everything's working out really smoothly. And I'm, the finish of it is, was just way above where I was at that time. And so I wake up from the dream and then I have to go to the drawing board and draw like I was at that skill level. Um, and it was kind of, I remember being depressed that whole day because it was like such a downer. It was like, I had this magic arm overnight in my mind. And then I get up the next morning and I'm just a mere mortal again. Like, oh man, that's a downer. Anyway, I was looking at a few pages, maybe five or six page, uh, years ago that I'd done. And I looked them over and I said, oh my God, these pages are like those pages. Mm. They're like those pages I dreamed all those years ago. And I thought about the progression. I said, you know what? It was a long, slow struggle, step by step, five years, 10 years, 15 years. But somehow, gradual improvement, I got to the point, I think, that I remembered being at in that dream. And nice. so I say to my students, you can do it. Don't expect to be in that place overnight, but you can do it if you just keep pushing yourself, understanding where your weaknesses are, where your strengths are, and then focus on the areas that are weak, and then just keep keep practicing, keep reinforcing, keep observing, keep studying, 
uh, and you'll get to that place. That, that is an awesome story. I love it. It was weird. It was just like, it was a weird kind of epiphany the day that I realized as I was looking at those pages that I somehow caught up with myself, strangely. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mark thinks that every time he looks at your artwork, oh my God, it's <laughs> I do. This is amazing. I know to this day, I still read, you know, reread my Avengers West and my Birds of Prey, you know, but what you're describing, it sounds like, you know, you kind of, you had that dream. It was a vision and you just kind of stayed with the process and then yeah. you arrived at that destination. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, obviously each job gives you new challenges. The challenges improve your work. And sometimes you would add a challenge to it. I remember I was working on, um, it was the one for Archie Goodwin, um, the teens that were running around, um, you know, when he had that little universe going um, over at Marvel. Mark? This is Mark's domain. <laughs> oh, anyway, anyway. So uh, it'll come to you, but, but, but okay. whatever. Uh, the point was, uh, I, bet I was about on the third issue of it. And I was quite familiar with being new characters. The script was not doing anything particularly special for me. Um, so I called up the editor, I called up Archie actually, and I said to him, Archie, can I do, uh, there's a particular sequence in here where the, all these kids get stranded in a school bus on a bridge and it looks like they're gonna go over the bridge and our heroes have to show up and save the day. Um, can I do the whole thing in the pouring rain? And he said, sure. I said, great. So for me, the challenge was to choreograph this whole sequence that went about six or seven pages in the pouring rain. Um, and it was, for me, it gave, it put the fun back into the job nice. to do that. So, so sometimes I think you can do that. You can give yourself a little personal challenge to just pep up your, your interest in a project. I find uh, over the years, editors have been really cool about stuff like that. I, not, I mean, not just Archie. Archie's most amazing to work with. He's legendary to work with, yeah. you know, in terms of being so good with artists. Um, but I think across the board, I'd have to say the people I work with were like that. If you came to them with something, you wanted a different take on something, they would be there for you. They would, they would say, yeah, go. Because they want it. what's best for the story. That's, yeah. I think yeah. so. And, they, and I think they trusted the artists to bring something more than just a drawing hand to the table, that, that we were thinkers as well. Um, so I, I'd have to say, I, I, it's been a good experience. And I had, had great editors you know, over the years to work with and some really, really sweet inkers too. So that, nice. that never hurts. What's your space like? You're drawing, you're drawing space or where you're writing? Well, where you're I'm drawing. actually What's in a studio like? away from a studio, right? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> My space is on the move. Uh, this is the beautiful thing about uh, being a comic book artist. It's really portable particularly if you're doing like penciling, penciling and inking and not worrying about going beyond that necessarily. Um, I do roughs. My roughs are small. I blow them up on a light box. I transfer them. Uh, and then I, I work it from there. So I, I'm often on the move these days. Uh, I have a studio. I like to be there on, on my drawing board. And when I'm finishing a page, for sure, I want to be there. But if I'm working up roughs and doing a whole sequence of pages and, and just working them small, oh, I can be anywhere. And I love... I mean, normally I like hanging out in my favorite coffee places. Nice. I kind of nice. like the white noise of people around yeah. me. Yeah. I mean, me and J.K. Rowling's, right? You know, we just like to hang out and, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and be creative. <laughs> so, so anywhere, anywhere is good. And these days, I haven't been doing anything for Marvel or DC or even Dark Horse for a little while. School got me busy. I did an instructional book. I mean, do you guys know about the instructional book? No. Mm-mm. Oh, shoot. Really? Tell us about it. I don't know. Can you see this? Can you see this? Yes, yes we yep. can. Yes. yes. Okay. This is called uh, Freehand Figure Drawing for Illustrators. I got a nice. call from an editor at Random House mm. five years ago, more than five years ago now. 
and we got talking about the possibility of a book. He understood that I was teaching and that I was also drawing in, in, in freelance, uh, still busy doing freelance work. So he said, well, because you do both, maybe you've nice. got a book here. And we got talking about it. Nice. So it's, it's, it's about how to do all this stuff. Incredible. Right? Cool. Nice. Specifically on the figure. It's because we got, the more we got, he wanted to do it for comics. He said, uh, book drawing figures for comics. Then we got talking about it. And I talked about the history of the methodology the fact that we use a simplified mannequin like you see here. Right, yeah. And that when you use a simplified mannequin, you can then work out all the basic blocking or shortening, perspective, the pose, the get the pose looking fluid, working properly. And then you deal with the anatomy, you deal with the features, you deal with the costume and the drapery, but you do it later. You don't try to do it all at once. So right. that very idea of working in that very, um, you know, basically taking the tasks and separating them up, is something that has been around for a long, long time. And really, if you think about it, we comic book artists, we come out of an illustration background. The early comic book artists were illustrators. They, they moonlit mm -hmm. doing comics and they were doing illustration. And so mm -hmm. the methodology that they had developed to be able to do what they needed to do in comics had come from somewhere else. It had come from illustration. And if you go back to guys like Norman Rockwell, uh, Andrew Loomis, who did all those amazing uh, how to draw books, um, the famous artist school, and, and you'll see all of the methodology of the illustrators, and you'll see how so many comic book artists you talk to, like Steve Root for heaven, heaven's sakes, talk to Steve Root about Andrew Loomis. He'll, he'll bend your ear for a, an hour about, <laughs> about how amazing Loomis's books are, and they are. Um, but Loomis is an illustrator. He came from that illustration background. So, um, so what I try to do is really work the mannequin in the book, and that's what it's all about. It's basically... That's cool. It's, it's so we had to I had to rethink what I was doing with the poses in it so yeah there's some dynamic poses good action stuff in there but there's a lot of how to do people sitting around how to do yeah. people you know in everyday scenes because uh, anybody who wants to be able to do this stuff has got to have the range to be able to do yeah. all that kind of pose right and to be able to do it from all the crazy angles too incredible and oh what, what's really cool i gotta show you this yes hang on, hang on. random house big publisher right so it's got yes. nothing to do yeah. with me oh wow nice. in another language korean. that's awesome korean nice incredible and just this summer check this out nice mainland chinese wow wow what an yeah. honor it is it's 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 i mean it's like pinch me pinch yeah. agreement uh, and Japanese, by the way. I just don't have the book here to show you. But there's a Japanese edition, a Korean edition, and a, I'm waiting for the Spanish edition. Come on, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, But anyway, at least those are happening, and it's just amazing. I'm feeling very blessed to, uh, to have the book out there in, in all those different languages. So it's getting out there and helping students. Uh, around the world, which is that's sweet, which is amazing. That is awesome. um, so. That's a that's a component of what I'm doing, but I'm also working on project work of my own. I can show you. Mark, close your mouth. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so incredible. I'm telling you, privilege to be able to talk to you. This is incredible, really. All right. So that's a little something we're working on. I'm working wow. on. Wow. Right that's a bit of it. Uh, this was colored by one of my ex students, graduate students, and um, so it's my pencils and inks and nice. Laura's. Beyond that. Uh, one I colored myself, same project, completely different looking material. Give you a screenshot here. This is another piece wow, of it right nice. here. Nice. Wow. So that's, that's another piece of it. So I'm trying to, um, I'm doing a bunch of panorama type shots right now. 
Nice. Because my feeling is the project is very well suited to gaming as well as comics. So I'm trying to create, um, I'm, I've got comic book pages for it. A lot of sequential pages are actually worked up. But beyond that, I, got a felt I wanted to do up a bunch of promotional pieces for it that had uh, a, a TV movie sort of format to them. So that's what I've been doing. That, that's why you're seeing that kind of a format nice. as opposed to comics continuity stuff. But it's great fun working on it. It's, uh, um, I, shouldn't, I can't say much about the basic core concept except to say that years ago for event comics, I did a character called Thrax. And okay. in this project, Thrax flies again. Nice. Cool. Beyond that, I, um, the lips are you just got to wait and see. Sounds good. Do you do cons at all? Like, yeah, like here for definitely. me, it's NYCC. Like, would, would we, will we see you at NYCC this year? It doesn't uh, show that it's been canceled well, yet. I did NYCC about five years ago. Okay. Um, and I'm sure I'll do it again. And I think if this project is coming to fruition, if it's actually happening, um, and it's looking good, it's looking very positive. But if it, if it happens, then then definitely I'll want to be there to promote this new project, show a lot of the new artwork for it. Nice. And so I'm sure I'll be back at NYCC for that. Um, beyond that, I've been doing a number of shows around. Uh, I was uh, last in England uh, doing their big show in London. Um, and I do the, the Fan Expo in Toronto, which is a big show. Uh, this is all on your website, correct? Uh, I really got to update that website. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it should be. It should be. I, I, I keep on my guy and, and, and have, have these things updated. Um, at the moment, of course, all shows are suspended pretty much. And yeah. so, so we're just, we're all kind of in a wait and see mode right now. And, right. uh, but when, when things get back to normal, I will be definitely doing the circuit and, and getting out to shows again. Great. We'd love to meet you and have you sign some of my books. That'd be incredible. That'd he be wants cool. you to sign great. all of his books. <laughs> yeah. <I do>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh. Dave, can I tell oh. you that, that the three of us have known each other since we were 13, so they can finish my Ooh. thoughts and all my sentences. And so, yes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> it's very true. We've been so, best friends since we were 13. So, yeah. That's this great. Is, that's great. Yes. And uh, did, do you all, did you all, see? I remember the little gang that I hang out, hung out with. And of course, back in the day, and, and I mean, back in our day was a little, a little further back than your day. But <laughs> back in the day, uh, you just had to, there were no comic shops. Yeah. So as kids, you'd all get together, you'd get on your bikes, and you'd all run over en masse to the smoking gift shop, convenience store over at the other mall. And the problem was trying to get any kind of a regular feed on a book. If you were picking up the Fantastic Four, the Avengers, it was trying to get the latest issues. And you know, the, the distribution was so weird back then. Yeah. You could literally go to three different stores and be getting three different issues of the same thing. I mean, I literally pick up three issues of Avengers in the same day because one store was really slow to restock. So mm -hmm. they'd have issue 54. So you, oh, I, did, I missed 54. Ah, I got one here. Now go over to Glen Agar Plaza, you know, three miles over there. And you, and you run over there with your friends on a bike and you run in and say, oh man, here's issue 55. Cool. I got. Oh, let me grab one of these. And so the hunt so, was yeah. definitely real we'll back then. It was, <laughs> it was very real back then. And uh, and you, you, there were times when you would just not get an issue. You'd you'd miss one in a, in a run that you were looking for. But so yeah, bonding with your friends, you'd all be running around doing doing all this. And uh, and I found that um, you could split the groups into a couple of categories. And one of the categories was this, was the, the fans that were into the characters and the other was the fans that were into the artwork. Yep. So, so to be like me and a couple other guys, we'd be following John Buscema on the Avengers. Nice. And then he'd be right. gone. And then, oh, but Gene Colan's on. That's cool. I, <laughs> yeah. I can take that. 
Um, and so that'll be fine for a while. And then, then Selby Summit came out and said, nah, I'm not a big Cell fan. And so uh, do I want to do this? And, but there's people who were like diehard Avengers fans and they would, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter who the artist was who was on. Um, they'd want to follow the book. And so I found that you, you got this kind of partitioning happening over a period of time. Be, and you'd be, be very, it was really obvious. The fans who were into the art versus the fans that were diehard on the characters no matter what. And, um, and I just thought that was an interesting dichotomy. Um, Mark, I definitely think you're the guy that's into the art. <laughs> yeah, you know, because it's, it's the art is what captures me. And then the story, it, it all just becomes so cohesive. It just yeah. flows for me. The art is what grabs me. And then from there, it just all, the words just, it all just makes sense. So yeah. the artwork is really what does it for me. And but even so, yeah. if you're, if you're collecting a title and you don't like the artist, and I'm gone. you're like, uh, I'll take a couple issues off. <laughs> like even the yeah, collector yeah. in you. That'd be me. That'd be me. That, it's that's true. Exactly how I do it. Because Dave, you know, you said at the beginning of the conversation that it, it it's becomes disjointed. And the yes. words, the story doesn't quite make sense if I no. just don't like the way it's shaped and the characters yeah. are shaped and how it's too bulky or too skinny. It's just not as impactful for me. So yeah, and, and, and there's a definitely a big component of it is performance. So yes. as an artist, I have to be an actor. And yeah. if the acting isn't good because the drawing <laughs> isn't good, then you're not really convinced about what the characters are thinking or feeling and it, it takes away from the impact of the story. It does. I'm really glad you brought this up because this is one of the key differences between Rich and me and Mark because Rich and I are character fans. Right. And obviously we've already said Mark was the artist fan because right. I can't, rem I can't count the number of times we were like, when is this dude going to be off Batgirl? Cause this is awful. Like right. this is just awful. When is this going to, there's my, my son Jensen yep. there. Hey there. <laughs> He has his Legos. All but right. I remember like always be, or like, I don't want this person to leave because I think they tell the story or they, they really bring something to this character that I haven't seen in a while. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, even, even for, for a person, for a fan who, who doesn't dissect the artwork, um, right. it's the overall experience, you know, and if yes. the performance is yes. better and the characters just look more three-dimensional, then you may not be able to break it down and say, well, it's because of this, that, or the other but you just enjoy the experience more. And I think that's, that's a really important Absolutely. Aspect. And speaking of cohesiveness, and I will tell you, back in December, we interviewed uh, our, the writer of Hawkeye. The, his, right. issue, he, it just, yeah. his name is Matthew Rosenberg. And right. he was a writer on Hawkeye. And I was telling him about my favorite all-time issue was Avengers West Coast issue 102. That was, oh, yeah. the, la okay. that was the last issue. Yeah. And talk about artwork and cohesiveness to this day when i spoke to when we spoke to matthew he says that this particular issue is what inspired him to write there was, there was a particular issue that he was working wow. on and this issue yeah. inspired him and he described it before i all i did was mention the name the title and the issue and he's like that's the issue that inspired me so to, i mean to this day your work still inspires people writers and that this particular issue is my number one all-time favorite because i've mentioned this in previous episodes is that mm -hmm. there was no superpowers there was no villain in this particular yep. issue. it was just straight politics east coast west coast and whether or not to disband the west coast and oh, so yeah. particularly people are looking for force blasts and and daggers and energy waves yeah there was none of that in this issue. And yeah, it was drama and it was performance. Drama Absolutely. and performance. And it's just 
that, that really that's that's why I think it's my number one all-time favorite issue is because of the, the drama the acting the performance in it oh well thank you very much for that boy yeah um, no no I, I enjoyed doing that one I was it was I was very pleased with with that one in retrospect um I like that run I mean it was a great run and 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 as I said working with Roy was was such a pleasure uh the birds of prey that I worked on was yes was too that was just everything plus the kitchen sink in it. I mean, wow. <laughs> the lost Island, Japanese soldiers, dinosaurs. It does not get better than that. <laughs> it was too cool. So Dave, one of the questions I like to ask our guests just to get a little bit deeper, what is something that um, you would like our audience to know about you that maybe they wouldn't get from looking at your work or even just kind of standard interviews. So what's something that you would like people to know about you? I don't know. I suppose, you know, one of the things I, I love is, is getting out there um, on an international level. If you, any of you connect with me on Facebook must get the idea by now that I have a fairly strong tie to Southeast Asia. Yes. Mm-hmm. I did see that. And I saw some yeah. of your interviews on um, YouTube. So, uh, years ago I and mean, the first trip was back in the 1980s and i got to meet some of the artists over there we tracked them down and hunted them down in indonesia nice. <laughs> saw this stuff and you gotta know the comics says they were being sold back then and actually this is the conversation i've been in with this gang in, in indonesia uh, just recently I've been talking about you know remounting a lot of the comics over there they're doing some big things and, and interesting things there's a comic book movie that they put out which is very cool got a chance to see it here in Toronto last year because it came to our TIFF, our Toronto International Film Festival. Film Festival it's called yeah. Bundala. And it's, uh, it's an Indonesian superhero and it's done with really excellent production values. And what you need to know about that is that it's the first in a series of them, that they are in for the long haul and they're really coming out with some cool stuff. Nice. Anyway, these are characters that go back a long way. They are characters that are well known with the Indonesian comics community. Um, but I met the creators of the original material back in, in the mid eighties and had a terrific visit with them. At that time, the comics were being sold. All the business was on the street. Mm. Wow. That is, you could go into a, you could go into a bookstore, but the bookstores were for the wealthier kids who had a lot of money to burn. The compilations were, were expensive. They had a lot of stuff from Europe in the stores. They had their own. Um, and those are the guys I met who were working on that stuff. Uh, and, and, uh, and then they would have a, some translated Western material. So they were getting smatterings of, of our comic stuff coming through. But it was just a, a really cool experience to actually meet and compare notes. Um, they were going through the bad old days that we still, that we were past. That is, the artists that I talked to complained about the fact that the publishers took every page that they owned it and they and the one guy was saying to me you know not quite crying but he was just very upset at just gets them worked up and he would talk about it. he said they give them out as gifts to their friends wow. but they've never given him a single page of his own artwork back wow and i thought to myself i don't think i said it at the time i thought to myself you know what that's because to give him back a single page of his work would to acknowledge the fact that he had some right of ownership to it, yeah. which they were refusing to do. So they made a point of holding them back from him. So he's never gotten original artwork back, and that was tragic. And yeah. I thought, you know, this is this is something that that you really have to appreciate someone like Neil Adams uh, going to bat for for those rights to get that artwork back. 
And now, of course, we, we get all our work back. It gets split between our pencil and our inker, but that's, it's a wonderful thing. So, so I love, I love again, um, meeting artists from other, other communities around the world, um, seeing the kind of similarities, differences between us all. It's, it makes me feel like we're part of a, a bigger family. We all have that in common, Absolutely. even if we have a hard time speaking with each other. Mm -hmm. um, the language of the artwork, the language of the drawing is just, just pulls it all together for us. And that, that's yeah. a great experience. So if you have a chance to meet other comic fans from other parts of the world, then it's, you know what I'm talking about. You bring up a really good point because I think music and art, well, obviously they're both different genres of art. They're yeah. like the, they all transcend language, right? So we have our yeah. specific languages, but it's like, a, there are very few universals, but it's like kind of emotions get triggered with music and art and it just transcends all those differences so i that's a and if you think about it we've been doing this for an awful long time um when i started teaching just about exactly when i started teaching full-time an article came out in the paper local paper about this find that they'd made in the south of france have you guys heard of the chauvet caves no no okay so they find these these caves all right no big deal because back in the mid 40s they found some caves they the Lascaux caves. They're the famous ones. The, the What you think of as the quintessential caveman art, right? right. Hands on the walls, I was here, I lived. The, the really kind of flat, very kind of graphic images of animals, uh, sort of straight side views and so on. They find these caves. Oh yeah, and the Lascaux caves, which I would say are the classic, are carbon dated as being 20,000 years old. Now that's oh. a long time ago. With this amazing artwork in them. There's a pair of lions um, that was we're on a wall. And if you look closely, you can see structural underdrawing. Structural wow. underdrawing that I would teach a student to do today. Wow. Over here in these caves. So apparently the reliefs on the walls and the ceilings, they actually work to the forms of the rock itself. Um, wow. And they animate. Apparently there's this one big cavern where you've got all of these animals crossing the plane. And literally it's like an animatic. You use, as you scan across it, it's like they're running. Uh, incredibly wow. sophisticated work a beautiful way more realistic way more formed than you would imagine for cave art and because of the sophistication of the work they immediately thought well obviously much more recent than Lascaux much more recent they found these by the way in the mid 90s they found Lascaux in the mid mid 40s they find these in the mid 90s at the Chauvet Caves and so they started to carbon date and then they and then they carbon date them again and then they, car they carbon dated <laughs> over 40 times, which is wow. unprecedented. You oh, don't right. carbon date 40 times. Right. No. <laughs> and, but they did, because they still weren't believing what the carbon dating was telling them. The carbon dating was telling them that although Lascaux and Chauvet are very close together geographically, they are separated by a chasm of 15,000 years. And guess what? The Lascaux oh, caves are the, the newer ones. Chauvet wow. is 35,000 years old. Wow. So 35,000 years ago, there's artists going into caves in the dark with their torches, and they're drawing these incredibly sophisticated structural underdrawings and intact, uh, amazing artwork. And I thought to myself, my God, what is the compulsion behind that? And I thought, okay, so some anthropologists are going to talk about a trend, like a, a group goes off and does this. You know what? Bull <laughs> it wasn't a group. It was some nutcase right. because somebody in a group and they're all, all of this, the, the fellow tribesmen are probably looking at this character, he or she 
like they're from Mars. Right. This, as they insist on going in here and wasting time doing these drawings <laughs> on these walls. Um, because, and why do you do it? I think you do it because there's an irresistible urge to do it. I yeah. think that's what it comes down to. And why should we have that? Why should that be built into any of us? What's it good for? We need that for survival? Um, and then I thought something else about it. I thought about the fact that he was drawing lions. The lions was interesting to me because if you read about this kind of thing, turns out they don't do predators very often. Usually the animals that are in old cave paintings are what you're going out to, to get for food. So right. it'd be like elk and deer and smaller animals. They would do those kind of things. They, you know, the idea is that they're, they're doing this, drawing this, doing this drawing on the wall, and that's going to capture the soul and spirit of the animal. Mm -hmm. Then they're going to go out and get the animal and they're going to eat it tonight. That's not the case in Chauvet. No way. Uh, and they were drawing these lions. And I thought to myself, you know what? That brings up another interesting point. Lions are predators. Lions, at the very least, would have been fierce competition for the same food that those, yeah. those early humans were going out and trying to bag. Um, and at the very worst, would be going after them directly. And yet, look at what they're able to do. Clearly, if you look at the drawings of the lions, you can see that there's a reverence there. You can see that there's a respect in the yeah. drawing for that right. animal. So you're saying, you know, that lion may eat me tomorrow, but he's so beautiful. <laughs> look at the lion across the back. Look at the brow. Look at the muzzle. Look at the power in those legs. And, and they had to celebrate it by drawing it. And I'm thinking, how much like the omnipotent is that? To be able yeah. to step away from your immediate situation? Yeah. What other creature on this planet could say that they could step away from the immediate, their immediate situation and go, oh my God, that's beautiful, and be yeah. really, truly objective about it? So I think the whole thing about the artwork and the love of, and I say not, not just love artwork, but all the arts, all the creative arts, music, dance, art, visual arts, uh, and which in, of course includes sculpture as well as, as two-dimensional work. Mm -hmm. All of it is a celebration, a reflection of the life experience that we see around us. And it is a truly a celebration of it. And some of us just feel compelled to celebrate. Heck yeah. And we gotta, we gotta do it, man. We gotta do it. That I think will be there eternally. I hope. Yes. I hope yeah. the computer doesn't completely replace it. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. Can you tell us, do you do commission work? Oh yeah. Definitely. Nice. I have a lot of fun doing those because you get to do characters that you've never drawn before. Nice. And some of, I guess some of my people who come back over and over again, they love to challenge me. With um, other commissions, do you ink them as well? A lot of them now. I mean, more than ever, people like to have the work inked and yeah. I've gotten really comfortable inking my own work. Nice. So, I mean, I, it's, it's great to have a pairing. It's wonderful. I love, I love the, the synergy that you get when you're working with a good inker yeah. and you get the style hybrid style coming out, which is so amazing. Um, so I, I'll always be open to that, but at the same time, it's, it's just a lot of fun to, to do it yourself and to know that you can get a result, which is very true to the original pencil art. Dave, is there ever, is there, a, what's Got your all-time favorite character to draw? Nice. Yeah, oh, that's always a tough question. I mean, I love, I love revisiting the old familiar as well. I did a, did a fun alpha flight piece recently, and again, one that was ink, but yeah, but the uh, you know, so so they're, they're always a lot of fun to revisit, particularly the Alpha Flight because it goes so far back. 
Yeah. And also they're underrated, I feel. I agree. Particularly you if you're talking before. about the core, the original core group. They're a lot of fun to work with. I don't know. Is it getting bleached out or can you make there it no, out? There oh, we go. Wow, there we go. that's incredible. That's amazing. Yeah, that was a lot of fun to work on. So we got the whole base crew in wow, just as they yeah. were when I, when I took over the book. So that's those cool. are a lot of fun to do. I mean, that's a really, you know, I love doing this stuff that I've never done before, challenge with the new characters, but I also, it's fun to take a trip down memory lane. And draw uh, your old friends again. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's like visiting old friends. Yep. It definitely is. Dave, I um, have to tell you, you have answered all my questions and you, I had no idea you were going to show us artwork. That was such a treat. And yeah. I thought I, I, I originally told you 20 minutes because I didn't know how busy you were and I had all my questions and everything ready because it was just, I was so honored that you even replied back to my email and we've had really you for was. an hour. I really was. And we've had you for an hour and you have just gone above and beyond what I ever could have thought or what we could have ever thought. And you have just been so awesome. So I, I know you've answered all of my questions. I don't know about Rich and Rob, I mean, but it's been a privilege to be able to talk to you. And I thank you so much for all that you've shared. Absolutely. Well, appreciate it. And I'm glad that you reached out and, and we were able to connect. That's great. Uh, I'll leave you with one of these. You'll want to have a look at this. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Ah, that man. Yeah, I commented on that on your Facebook. <laughs> I'm telling you guys, it's such a great job. That is just, I mean, talk about. That was a recreation. That's not the original. The original is long gone and inked beautifully by Tim Zahn. What's really cool is that I've been back in touch with Tim just recently. We lost touch over a number of years, but thanks to things like Facebook, you can yeah. find people again. And so it's great to be able to reconnect. So Tim's out there doing some inking, did a beautiful Dr. Doom for me uh, a little while ago. And I've had him do a couple of other things since, been, been great. But this I just inked myself. And because at that point I hadn't reconnected with Tim yet. And I had a, a commission come in. Guy wanted a couple of cover recreations. And so that's what I did. So I was able to find the original pencils and uh, light box them onto fresh boards. And then I just did what I do today. I didn't really think about trying to be perfectly faithful to what I had done back then. I was thinking more, okay, let's have a, just do it as if it was just a regular commission and do my best possible work on it. Well, you did an excellent job. Excellent. They were fun. They were fun. Yeah. And I, I, I will make sure to continue to follow you on Facebook to keep updated of where you are, where you're going. Yep. Maybe one day in the future I can meet you and that'd be great. And I'll just continue to check your website. I know you say you're going to have it updated, but I'll just continue to check you on those forums. Yeah, I'll, I'll get it updated just this summer. I mean, it's one of my, one of the things I got to do is get back into to that. I guess get so busy with the teaching, so busy with everything. It's like, it has been neglected. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> but, and, and a lot of people, again, you know, so much of what goes on, the really active stuff these days is going on on Facebook, on Twitter, on yep. Instagram. Um, so people are really just putting all their attention there. And, um, and that's where a lot of my attention has been going. I, I am on Instagram as well. If you want to follow me, it's uh, David Ross 4075. <laughs> Write it down, Mark. <laughs> there must Man. be a lot of us out there. <laughs> Dave, I just want to thank you for really getting into the details of kind of storytelling and how, at least with your experience, not only your personal experience, but your teaching experience and how that really connects with people. I really appreciate that um, immensely. Thank you so much. Well, I, I do like to share because I feel like we need to, those of us who have these skills, we need to pass it on to the next generation. I want, mm -hmm. I want these skills to, to stay alive in the world. And I, I fear mm -hmm. that the digital um, media is taking a lot of that away yes. bit by bit by bit over time. So I think 
it's great when I see students coming into the into the room and they are just really jazzed on draw on drawing on just freehand yeah. drawing and that's so cool that that's still still out there. Dave, your passion is amazing. I got to tell you, you should be proud of yourself. Buddy. And it's palpable. It is. It's very very. Well, I'm still having fun with it. Uh, that's good. So key, happy man. to hear that's that, Dave. Yeah. Stay safe in Toronto, and thank you, thank you, thank yeah, you, thank you, you again. Thank you. All right. And Take we'll care. See you, see you at the uh, at the Comic Con one of these days soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Take care. Thank <laughs> you. We right. will. Yes, Take care. See you, buddy. Take care. Thanks. All the best, and do stay safe, will you? We will. Same to you. Thank you. So that was uh, Dave H. Ross. Um, Mark's goosebumps of goosebumps. That was um, an awesome interview, dude. I, he went. I I I got. I did a little bit of research on him. Um, in some of the DC books that he did, but man, he's a really good teacher. Like just listening to his experiences mm-hmm. as a professor in the arts, mm-hmm. it, it was it was cool, man. I got little nuggets, man. And I, I know that uh, this podcast isn't going to be a a video, but he showed us some really cool artwork, didn't he, Mark? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely he really did he showed us some great artwork which i i didn't think he was going to but i mean he was so um eager and willing to show us his artwork you know he showed us like four different pieces that he just had right there and he was that was just so incredible He's and, definitely like an ambassador for art it's not even absolutely just, not even just an ambassador for comics but like he you could just tell he's so genuine and just loves the genre loves art any art and just can't wait to share it man it was really really cool i appreciate the depth of the conversation um kind of how comic book art but just art in general transcends you know the different languages and it's just it has a unique way of connecting with people especially when it comes to you know storytelling um and you know it was kind of in line with some of the other comments we've heard from some of the interview other interviews we've done with folks really taking issue with the quality of the storytelling going on with comic books today i don't know what you guys thought about that i mean he said what i was thinking that it was disjointed mm-hmm. yeah i'm glad he touched on that because that's how i've been feeling yeah it was really cool to see somebody that uh has been around the comics industry and worked with a lot of people and in- inspired a lot of people and was inspired by a lot of people it was it was really really cool hopefully we can get together and uh, meet him at uh new york here real soon i i think the probably the last time he was there was our first year going because i remember uh you stopping by his table and seeing about getting a commission piece. So Mark, you better start saving your pennies, bro. Absolutely. Am I going to commission him? Absolutely. Am I going to commission him? Because I mean, he showed us his commissioned work, you know, and so he's, he loves doing it. And I just started thinking about what I would want him to draw, you know? So obviously it's going to be something from Avengers West coast. So hell yeah. Um, but he was so awesome to this day. His work still inspires people. Yeah. All right. Well, episode 21 guys. So uh, let's recap our top 10 and then uh, so we can get on episode uh, on to episode 22, where we're going to start the who would win segment of the show. So um, do we just want to go down, like go back and forth? Uh, I say we just each go uh, 10 on down to one and then let's rank them like old school episodes. What do you think? Sounds good. Follow me. All right, I'll I'll start it off. So my number ten was Empire number zero. Mine was the um the trade Gotham by Gaslight. So my number ten is Thunderbolts number twenty two. All right, which God. one takes which one takes the cake here? Uh, well, I haven't read Marks. Uh, I did read Empire number zero. 
So I will go Empire, Gotham by Gaslight, Thunderbolts. I'm going to go Empire, Gotham by Gaslight, and Thunderbolts. <laughs> I'll go Thunderbolts, Gotham by Gaslight, and Empire. <laughs> okay, so the winner is? Empire. Empire. I remember when we got that book, Gibbs said, this is what it would be like if Dr. Doom was real. Yeah. And I'm sure we talked about that 11 episodes ago. <laughs> right. All right. So my number nine was Superboy Annual Number One, the first Elseworld book that I ever read. Mm, that's such a good one. I need to get you that, man. Ever since that episode, you need to you need to see that and reread it. it such I want to watch the homemade movie we made, inspired <laughs> by that. That's what I want. That was Mark. That was before we met you. God, it was really. Good. Yeah, might have been two years before we met you. It was bad. Very bad. <laughs> uh. My number nine was Kingdom Come number one. Another Elseworld. My number nine was Fantastic Four, issue 267. I'm going to go with Kingdom Come number one, Fantastic Four, 267, and Superboy annual number one. Uh, I'm going to go Kingdom Come number one, Fantastic Four, and Superboy. I'm going to go Fantastic Four, Superboy annual one, and Kingdom Come. Mark is not an Alex Ross fan. Jesus Christ. (laughs) All right, so the winner is uh, Kingdom, Kingdom Come. Come. <laughs> I'm keeping score, boys. So far it is Rich 1, me 1, Mark numero 0. All right, so my number 8 was Jeff Smith's Green Arrow number 1. Quiver, right? Quiver, yes. Uh, my number 8 was a shitty story known as Azrael 40. But again, that was for the thrill of the hunt. That was the symbolic right. connection. Mark, what's your number 8, buddy? My number 8 is Avengers Volume 3, number 7. All right, I'm going with Green Arrow number 1, Avengers Volume 3, number 7, and Azrael 40. I'm, I'm same order. <laughs> same order. I'm going Avengers Volume 3, number 7, Green Arrow number 1, and Azrael 40. Yeah, mine's in the garbage, 100%. You said that from the minute you picked it. All right. I did. Green Arrow number 1. All right, number 7 for me was Fantastic Four, number 1, Heroes Reborn. Um, my number seven was Bone 22. Uh, I just picked it off the rack at Comic Connection. Uh, mm-hmm. That was my first Bone book ever. So not a really good issue to start on. But again, first one I picked up. So Mine is a- Avengers number 213. All right. So I'm going with Avengers 213. Bone 22 and Fantastic Four number one. I'm going to go Avengers 213, Bone 22, Fantastic Four number one. I'm going to go Avengers 213, Fantastic Four number one, Bone 22. Mark's on the board. So number seven is Avengers 213. All right. My number six book was Batman 617, Jeff Loeb, Jim Lee. Hush. Uh, my number six was Batman Death in the Family Trade. Mine is Avengers number 330. All right. My pick is Batman 617, Avengers 330, and Batman Death in the Family Trade. I'm going to go with Batman 617, Batman Death in the Family, Avengers 330. I'm going to go Avengers 330, Batman 617, I'm Batman, Death in the Family. All right, so number eight is Batman 617. Rich is in a firm lead. All right, number five 
for me was Superman 75, the death of Kal-El himself. Boom. Got me in fighting the against books. that. That's right. Fighting against that was Detective 1000. Mine was X-Men 117. I'm going Superman 75, X-Men 117, and Detective 1000. Wow. Ranked it last, huh? Uh, I'm going to go with... I liked Action Comics 1000 better, man. (laughs) Superman 75. Rich, I hate you. Uh, Detective 1000, X-Men 117. I'm going X-Men 117, Superman 75, Detective 1000. All right, number four. All right, the current score is Rich 4, Rob 1, Mark 1. (laughs) Superman 75 is number five. All right, number four is, for me, Swamp Thing number 43. Mine was Batman 497. Somebody had some back pain. Yeah. Mine was the Batman Chronicles. I'm going this one. This one. This this might be the one that we all have three different answers. I'm going with uh, Swamp Thing, number forty three, Batman four ninety seven, and Batman Chronicles. Uh, Batman four ninety seven is too pivotal for me. That's my Superman seventy five. Right. Um, and then we'll go with uh, Batman Chronicles. And honestly, it's just because I haven't read Swamp Thing. So I'm you haven't gotten to me, Rich. Batman Chronicles, Batman 497, and Swamp Thing. Mm. All right, so that's a wash. That is a wash. All three, all right. <laughs> Nobody gets a point. Actually, we all get a point. We'll do we that. We all get a point. All right, number three for me was Action Comics 1000. Uh, number three for me was The Watchmen Trade. Number three was Catwoman, number 57. All right, so I'm going to go with Watchmen Watchmen Trade, Action Comics 1000, and Catwoman 57. I'm going to go with that same Watchmen Trade, Action Comics 1000, and Catwoman 57. I'm going to go Catwoman 57, Action Comics 1000, and The Watchmen Story. All right, so number three is Watchmen. All right, number two for me was the final issue of Bone, number 55. I cried when it was over. Uh, my number two was the Crisis on Infinite Earths trade, most notably the Alex Ross cover. Rob's the only one that's got trades here. You think he's lazy and didn't pick individual floppies or what? <laughs> <laughs> Mine is Birds of Prey Manhunt. All right, my order is Bone 55, Crisis on Infinite Earths, specifically the Alex Ross cover. <laughs> And Birds of Prey Manhunt. I'm going to have to go with Crisis, Bone 55, um, Manhunt. I'm going Birds of Prey, Crisis on Infinite Earths, and Bone number 55. All right, so that was a wash. (laughs) Everybody gets a point. All right, and my number one book is Watchmen number nine. My number one book was Batman 608, the launch of the Hush story. Mine was Respect featuring Lois Lane. All right, so my number one ranking, Watchmen number nine, Batman 608, and Respect Lois Lane. Batman 608. Watchmen number nine, respect Lois Lane. Marks is Watchmen number nine. Nope. Mine is respect Lois Lane. Oh my God. Batman six, was it 609? 608. 608 and Watchmen number nine. Put Lois Lane over 608. Yes, sir. I'll just go. So the number 10 
Empire, number zero. Number nine was Kingdom Come, number one. Number eight was Green Arrow, number one. Number seven was Avengers 213. Number six was Batman 617. Number five, Superman 75. And number four is a wash. And number three was the Watchmen trade. And number two was a wash. And number one was a wash. I don't think any of us were going to budge on that. So it really comes down to uh, we're going to need some help with this. So we need some emails, some comments, and uh, help us figure out who the who your number one is. Doesn't necessarily have to be our number one, but this was this was a really good time, guys. I really enjoyed going through our top 10 so the score at the end of the game was rich seven (laughs) rob five mark four what can i say boys i'm the only one still reading current books and you know like hey that's not that's not true you gave me some reading material (laughs) get off the bench okay (laughs) i can't can't. i'm changing too many diapers all right one last thing about the countdown would you remove any of your top 10 would i remove any of my top 10 yes i wouldn't i don't think i would i think mine's pretty solid um i guess another question would be would uh you put them in any different order i would i would actually drop asbro 40 to number 10 um and just bring kind of kingdom come and gotham by gaslight up uh that's kind of where i'm at it was it was kind of a challenge because you were kind of picking your favorite books and then like i remember going through the motions and like sitting uh, laying awake at night wondering like man what order am i going to put these in because i really love them but you know the demand of trying to pick a book on the not necessarily the fly but get it ready for the show and uh mark would you move any of yours around is your number one comic really lois lane respect yeah is it that's awesome i noticed something you don't have avengers west coast west coast ain't in there bro what happened i like that one for a different reason It, it, it for this particular countdown i chose respect that was my for this particular no no no, no. it's not even in your top 10 yeah that it's the it can't be listed all right it's like it can't be listed it can't be listed it's like not even on like it can't be listed it's like a phoenix it just i'm gonna majestic yeah i'm gonna put that (laughs) it's a truly majestic issue it can't be it can't be listed i'm gonna put that in the same mile with your peanut butter bird shit yep whatever (laughs) dog doo-doo from whole foods that is ridiculous and it's delicious. My book is so good. The politics is so good. Yeah, it transcends a top it's ten. Delicious. Oh my god! It can't be listed. All right, guys. Well, I had a really good time. So, uh, episode. Our next episode, we're gonna break apart. I say we just break apart the. Uh, let's say we review the first two issues of DC versus Marvel, and we'll discuss those matchups. Or maybe we'll just, you know, highlight the the premise of the four issue uh, miniseries that took place. And God, what year was that? DC vs. Marvel. Yeah. Oh boy, I think it was like ninety six. Ninety six, I think. I thought it was ninety six. I think you guys are right. I'm going way too far back. It came out in May, April to May ninety six. Ninety six. Okay. So I think we'll just go over. Uh, we could just highlight the the main matchups that were in the book and then we can kind of hash those out and who would win and then maybe just keep the the train rolling with other matchups that we think 
would have been cool to see or other or, or even the matchups that happened in the book we could be like yeah it would have gone a totally different way like you know superman would have beat the shit out of the hulk so you know uh, <laughs> the sounds fight good that started it all the fight that started the friendship well guys i really had fun tonight um i really do appreciate dave for uh coming on the show and uh basically dropping gems on us man what a great guy absolutely what a, what great, a great, great 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 guy so uh until next time fellas this is rich this is mark this is rob again if you want to hit subscribe on your podcast uh streaming uh, app of choice drop us a comment send us an email at heroes home base at gmail or heroes home base podcast on facebook uh would love to hear you know what's your top 10 what do you think of what we listed and kind of came up with which one would you pick um again we all really appreciate you taking the time to listen to us uh ramble on for a long time because you have a lot of things you can fill your time with so thank you so much guys Thank you for listening to this RMR production. Ah! Ah! We're going to scare people. <laughs> <laughs>